more nervous, singing or preaching. And uh, you don't have to tell me which one I do better, all right? Just, just keep that to yourselves. But uh, appreciate the church and your faithfulness. Uh, let's turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. It's good to see some of our uh, brethren back from their travels. Of course, the Restus and Arola family and also Brother Earhart. Good to see everyone back. And uh, let's turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. And I want to speak to you this morning just about an, a, an attitude that we ought to have. And here in the, this chapter of the, uh, of the Bible, we see the Lord Jesus teaching some things that to those who are hearing it, and really to us as well, would, would seem to be different, seem to be revolutionary. And in the midst of that, we're going to see verse 41. And I want to I give you just a, a thought here uh, in a little while. But ask yourself this question, what makes a good Christian? You ever ask that? What makes a good Christian? I'm going to read a few statements. Would you agree or disagree with these? Um, so what makes a good Christian? Saved by grace through faith in Christ. Agree or disagree? Agree, right? Because if you're not saved by grace through faith, you're not a Christian. Uh, how about this one? You go to church on Sundays. Give, you give up your tithes. They read their Bible and pray. They witness to people around them. All right, you, you might be still making up your minds about those. But, you know, if you really think about the, the, the statements that we just made, all of those are very basic things in the Christian life. And, and we at times give ourselves too much credit for doing things that are expected of us. You see, the verse that we're about to read is really referring to that. And look at, look at verse 1, uh, verse 41, sorry. Matthew chapter 5, verse 41. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. And whosoever shall compel with thee, compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just come before you and thank you, Lord God, for the joy it is to be in your presence this morning amongst your people. Thank you for the great promise that where two or three are gathered in your name, there you are in the midst of us. And Lord, we do seek your, your presence to be upon us this morning. Lord, we need your, your enabling to be able to, to learn and grasp the, uh, the things of your word today. And Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to, to adopt this and apply this in our lives, Lord. And I pray, dear God, that we would be found faithful as a result. And Lord, I pray that you just be, be honored and pleased in everything that's said and done today in Jesus' most precious, holy, wonderful name. Amen. So we, we just read the one verse. We'll turn to different uh, portions of Scripture this morning. hope that you're ready to open your Bibles. And by the way, uh, that is one of the basic things, bring your Bible to church, right? Um, but Matthew chapter 5, verse 41 really is referring uh, to a law that was ex uh, exercised first by the Persians and then by the Romans. The concept in this verse has uh, origins dating back to the Persians and their practice of impressments for service. The Persian king at set location stationed public couriers or mounted messengers, and they had ready horses to relay messages from one post to the next. And if a person was passing by one of these stations, an official might just seize him and compel him to do an errand for the king, 
and the passerby would have little choice in the matter. So no matter who you were, if you were compelled, you had to at least, the minimum was to go a mile. And so what Jesus was teaching here was don't just go a mile, go the second mile. Don't just do the minimum that, that is required of you. Go, go and do the, the thing again. Go the second mile. And, and here in the context of our chapter, the, the Romans were in charge and the Romans adopted this law to extend to any persons within their vicinity. And in fact, we see an example of this in Matthew chapter 27. Look at, look at verse, uh, chapter 27. Turn to Matthew chapter 27 and notice verse 32. And, and here we see the, the Lord Jesus was bearing His cross. And, and, and as He was walking by, notice in verse 32, And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, him they compelled to bear His cross. And what had happened was, as the Lord Jesus was carrying His cross, the Roman soldiers instructed this Simon of Cyrene to go carry that burden for the Lord Jesus, and he was compelled to do so for at least a mile. For one mile. And so we see this example in, in, in Scripture here of this law being applied. But notice again what the Lord Jesus said in His teaching on the mount here. He said, don't just go with them a mile. Go with them a second time. Go twain mile. Go the second mile. And you see, too often we've allowed, I believe, the world to define what a good Christian should be. We've allowed the, the, the low standards of society to say that a Christian just has to adhere to the basic minimum requirements of what we deem to be a Christian today. A couple of weeks ago, we spoke about some of the statistics here in Australia about those who are churchgoers. And I want to draw your attention again to that statistic. It was quite a minimum. It was 8% of the nation's population goes to church regularly. Now, we would all agree that going to church regularly, it's quite a foundational uh, foundational thing to do for a Christian, correct? But you know how they define regular attendance? Once a month. Once a month. And I know you're here this morning and you're, you're saying, well, pastor, we're here. We're, we're here this morning. And what are you saying? See, the, sometimes we just, we just stick to the status quo. And we allow the, the substandard of the world to de deem for us what it is that we're supposed to be. And yet, we can't be ignorant this morning, church, and, and brethren, uh, this day. We can't be ignorant of the fact that the Lord Jesus expects much more and deserves much more from us. Sometimes we have this mentality, if, there, if we just do the minimum of what is required of us, then, then surely in God's sight, that's good enough. And, and sometimes we live this life in the status quo as Christians, and, and yet the world will, will tell you, that for them, it's okay. Just don't go extreme. But the Bible has a different value system to us. He says, don't just go the mile. Go the twain mile. Go the second mile. And notice this attitude here. Look at Mark chapter, uh, chapter 14. Turn your Bible, Mark chapter 14. And notice what the Bible says here in verses 1 to 9. Notice verse 1, after two days was the feast of the Passover and of unleavened bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. So they, they were out for, uh, for, for Jesus and there they were, they were about to, uh, to, 
concoct a plan to be able to, uh, to, to, uh, to get Jesus, and yet they were mindful of the people. And we understood that Jesus had his followers in the day. And notice verse 3 where Jesus was, being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. As he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. And she broke the box and poured it on his head. And we understand from, uh, from other teaching and preaching and, uh, and as we look at history that this uh, box, uh, alabaster box of spikenard was roughly around one year's wage. And, and so you calculate that in your own mind what that is for you. And this was that what was represented here. Uh, for this woman. And so she pours that out on the Lord Jesus. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, why was this waste of the ointment made? Now, if you look at other uh, corresponding parts of Scripture that speak about the same event, it was the, the Judas, the traitor, the betrayer, who actually said that. Who actually thought, wow, what, what a waste. We could have fed the poor and, and done all of these other things. Why pour it out on the Lord Jesus? And he deemed it a waste. Verse 5, for it might have been sold for more, than, uh, for more than 300 pence and given to the poor. And notice verse 6, and Jesus said, let her alone. Why trouble you? She hath wrought a good work on me. Did Jesus agree or disagree? He agreed with this, right? He, he saw this as fitting for him. For ye have not the poor with you always, and whatsoever ye will, ye may do them good. But, may, uh, but me ye have not always. And notice what Jesus' commentary about her was she hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached, throughout the whole world, this also that she had done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. And the fulfillment of that is right here in Scripture. It's been recorded for eternity, forever and ever, as a record of her sacrifice of her understanding of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, what did, what did the Lord Jesus say about her? She hath done what she could. And you know, sometimes we have this attitude, well, I just do what I can. But, but what the Lord Jesus is begging to differ with us this morning is you could do more than you can. You can do more than you think. And he's saying here this generosity, this, this lavishness that this lady uh, demonstrated, this is what you could do. And yet, you know what we do sometimes with the Lord Jesus is we just, we just serve Him with what is required. What is the baseline minimum? You, you know, we, we attend church and we sit here and we listen to the preaching and, and we define that as being a good Christian. But the, Lord Jesus, uh, the, the Bible's teaching us to have this attitude. Don't just go the, the first mile, go the second mile. The Lord Jesus isn't interested in just baseline requirement uh, mentality in His followers. He's looking for those who will go a second mile. He's looking for those who will uh, demonstrate a Christianity that will not just go one mile, but will go a second mile. And, and I wonder this morning, have you done what you could for Christ? I mean, many of us will do what's comfortable. Many of us will do those things that, that are convenient for us, but we won't inconvenience ourselves. Especially out here in this, this, uh, this world that we live in, in this modern time, so often the thought of surrender and sacrifice is so foreign to us because we're so uh, at times in love with our comfort. You see, it's comfortable to go one mile, but it's uncomfortable to go the second mile. And yet the expectation of the Lord Jesus as He was teaching this, uh, this Sermon on the Mount was that we would be compelled to go the second mile. 
that we would be second mile Christians. I think about uh, different people of the past. One of my missionary heroes is uh, C.T. Studd. And mainly because he was a missionary, but secondly because he was an excellent cricketer. All right, some of you are like, cricket? You're making a snore already. All right, I don't, I don't mind. I, I, I enjoy it. In fact, I'll confess to you, I did stay up a little bit to watch it last night. But C.T. Studd was a servant of Christ who faithfully served his Savior in China, India, and Africa. And in a book regarding C.T. Studd, the, the author states this, C.T.'s life stands as some rugged Gibraltar, a sign to all succeeding generations that it is worthwhile to lose all this world can offer and stake everything on the world to come. His life would, will be an eternal rebuke to easygoing Christianity. He has demonstrated what it means to follow Christ without counting the cost and without looking back. And that's the, the, the mentality of second mile Christianity. The mentality is this, no, we could do the minimum, we could do the thing that we're compelled to do, but Christ is compelling us to go beyond that, to go beyond what it, it, it generally means, the baseline requirement. He's compelling us to go the twain mile, the second mile. And we can read about men of history, we can read about different people all around the different places of the world, but listen, they're not here this morning, but you are. And we are. And it's easy for us to look at our society today and look at the, the comforts of today and, and, and notice the shortage of laborers and notice, notice the shortage of, uh, seemingly shortage of resources that is available to the gospel work. And yet we have Christians today, in this room included, who won't go the first mile, let alone go the second mile. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ this morning is compelling each and every one of us. Be a second mile Christian. I wonder if there's, there's those here this morning who God is compelling you to, to serve Him in some capacity, some full-time capacity. God might be calling you to a field. God might be calling you to a, a gospel endeavor. And you're here this morning, and, and I'm glad for you. I'm glad you've come and you've done the first mile of Christianity. Can I just say to you, that Christianity isn't just about this right now. It's about what we do afterwards, and it's about our obedience to the thing that is given us in His Word. It's second-mile Christianity. And, and we're going to examine here what it is to be a second-mile Christian, and I hope that we would allow God to challenge us about our place, really in future history. Many of you have stated over the last couple of weeks after missions conference about your heart to do more for the Lord. And many of you, that, that statement that was made on the last evening, what will you be remembered for, has stuck. And I wonder if we would, as we look back, if the Lord tarries His coming, if this generation and this church and you as an individual Christian will be looked at as a second mile Christian. And not in the sense of they've just done what they can, but we've done what we could. So let's examine that this morning. And notice here with me again in, Ma in Matthew chapter 5, verse 41. And we'll, again, we'll turn to different parts of Scripture, so please have your Bibles ready. Matthew 5, 41, and it says, Whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. 
And notice that the manner of the second mile Christian is to go twain. To, to, to not, just, not just choose to go the first mile, but to go the second mile. And the manner of the second mile Christian is to go the maximum. It's to go beyond what everyone else is doing. Not just to represent the status quo, but to go the maximum. To go, to go all out. To be all in for the Lord Jesus. And why is it that we have a generation who want the maximum, a minimum and not the maximum we can do for God. Now, let me just say with a, uh, here this morning before we go any further, we can't go the second mile if we don't first do the first mile. You can't do two if you haven't done one. And, and sometimes the reason why we're not second mile Christians is because we're not first mile Christians in the first place. We, we don't even reach the those things that seem to be the, the most basic things of the Christian life. We can't go the second mile if we don't take the first mile. You know, you could come to me and you could say, look, Pastor, I want to serve Christ with my life. But if you're never at church and you're not, never faithfully attending the services of your local church, then I beg to differ about your opinion about your calling. Maybe do the first mile before you do the second mile. That would be my advice to you this morning. You know, God, God just won't call you out of the blue if you're not part of what He's already doing. Some of you might say, well, we're, we're called to, to do this and that, but if you're not faithful to the, 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 the thing that God expects in the first place, then don't go beyond that. And, and many times we... we say things and, and do things, and, and yet maybe we haven't even done the first mile. He says this to the, uh, to the uh, Pharisees and the scribes, and in Matthew 23, 23, he says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have commit, omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. Now, he was saying here that they were focusing on the second mile. Uh, they, they wanted to, they, they, were, they were emitting the second mile of judgment, the weightier things. But he, what he was saying was, you should have done the first mile. And he's saying, you know, um, give your, your, you, you should have given your tithe, but you should have done the other. You should have gone beyond that. And, and I want to say to you here this morning, you know, I'm glad for, for the total, for the faith promise this morning. I'm glad for that. Amen. Glad for, for you stretching your faith a little bit, but can I just remind you that, that God expects your first fruits of your increase. You're meant to give. That's part of it. And, and you, might, you might have a great heart for missions, but, but you know, if you, you don't have a great heart to give to the Lord what is already His, then, then forget about the blessing of going beyond that. See, sometimes we go beyond the first mile. We're looking ahead to the second mile, and you haven't even proven the first mile. And I'm glad if you gave, and I'm glad if you're doing that, but can I remind you that, 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 that God's expectation is that you do the first things first. You do those things that are minimum, those things that are required, those things that are, are standard to just the baseline minimum, but then you ought to go beyond that. And, and you know, sometimes the reason why we do the minimum for God is really because we have a minimum view of God. Who is God in your heart and your mind tonight? 
uh, to this morning? Is he someone that is worthy of your praise? Is he someone that is worthy of your time? Is he someone that is worthy of your devotion? Or is he just someone that's out there, out in the sky somewhere? Because you see, when we have a high view of God, then we tend to have a high view of our manner of life for him. But if we have a minimum view of God, we generally have a minimum manner of life. You see, Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, when he looked and he saw God high and lifted up, then he began to see all of the needs around him. He began to see that, that whilst he was a prophet called, that he was one that needed to volunteer and say, here am I, send me. And I, I want to say to you, uh, uh, you young adults who we will be focusing on this, this month, we've got a True North Summit. I'm, I hope that you're praying for that. I want to say that maybe some of you are, are, are even considering how it is to serve God, how it is that you ought to surrender to God, because maybe you don't even have a high view of your, of your Savior, Jesus Christ. Maybe you're taking your salvation for granted like, well, I deserve that. No, none of us deserve that. It's His grace. You understand He's bought you with a price, therefore glorify God in your bodies, which is His and maybe you're looking at your life and you're thinking, well, how do I live this life for me? Listen, how's your view of God? Is it a high view or is it a minimum view? Is it a low view? How do you view God? Do you see a God who's worthy of all your being? Worthy of all your praise and adoration? Do you see a God who's worthy to be feared and served? You see, a high view of God permeates your whole manner of life. If you have a high view of who God is and understand who He is. See, this directive in verse 41, this directive was given in response really to an earthly law. He's saying, you know, as a Christian, you ought to have this testimony that you're not just going to just meet the, the minimum requirements of a citizen. That you would go beyond that and live in a greater way. That you would demonstrate. And, and you know, sometimes we're compelled by, by the things around us, by the law, to, to adhere to the law. And it's sad that sometimes we have a greater appreciation and a greater respect for earthly law than we do heavenly law. We just sort of go, well, everyone else is like that. That's what everyone else is doing. Therefore, that's what I ought to do. And what we're speaking here is for those who, who understand that, that this directive wasn't just given by an earthly law. This was uh, something given by a teaching by the Lord Jesus Christ. This tells us that God intends our manner to be different when it comes to spiritual and earthly matters. And why is it our manner sometimes when it comes to things we do in a secular setting far exceeds the things that we do spiritually? You know, I marvel at those who show excellence in their workplace and yet give God their bits and pieces when it comes to service. They'll do all they can to ensure they turn a profit that year, but they won't show any profit when it comes to their reading of the Word of God and the growth that they ought to show in their walk with God. They'll, they'll serve God in their spare time. They won't schedule it. In fact, the church calendar, what's that? And yet, so we look around us and we wonder why the work of God is, being, is not being done. Let's not look any further away than the man or the woman in the mirror. 
Are you a second mile Christian? Is that your manner? Is the manner of your life to go the twain, to go the maximum? Why is it that our manner sometimes in the secular far exceeds the manner that we have in the spiritual? You know, in fact, we ought to be the hardest working and hardest studying and, and best mannered citizens of our nation. We ought to be those that want to make a difference for the cause of Christ. The Bible exhorts us in Matthew 5, later uh, earlier in this passage in verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So often our, our, our manner of life is that not, a, not of a second mile Christian, but one who just looks for the minimum. I wonder if you're the... I wonder if you would change your heart and your mind to understand that the Lord Jesus Christ, our God, is worthy of far more. He, we ought to be a second-mile Christian. But that, notice this, the motivation, the motivation of a second-mile Christian. Notice what the Bible says, And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. There, there's an understanding that there's one who is bearing a burden that you go with. There's a motivation there. There's a devotion, there's a commitment made. And devotion really is simply love or loyalty. Our loyalty and love for Christ ought to be our greatest motive for going the second mile. If, if I was here, this, uh, if I were to ask this morning, uh, first one up here to do 100 push-ups. I noticed none of you moved. <laughs> but if I was to say this, First one up here with, to do 100 push-ups gets $100. Okay, none of you move still. All right, your price is pretty high. But what I'm trying to demonstrate is sometimes it just comes down to motivation. Motivation moves you. What motivates you? What's your motivation? You know, you, you might be asking, well, Pastor, it's all well and good what God said, but what's my motivation in this? And he's saying, go with him. Go with him another mile. And, and in the first place, you might see others who are laboring, and you might say, hey, I'll labor with them. Or you might look at the Lord Jesus like Simon of Cyrene did, who bore his cross. And by the way, can I just remind you this morning, he bore the cross for you and I. He bore the cross willingly to, to pay the price for those who became his enemies and, and the Lord Jesus today is looking for those who would follow Him the second mile. And aren't you glad this morning that the Lord Jesus didn't fall short of His mission to die on the cross of Calvary? If you're saved here this morning, you ought to be glad for that. If you're saved here this morning, you, you realize that the Lord Jesus Christ at any time could have made the choice to be rescued by legions of angels. But you know what? He went a little further, didn't He? He went all the way to the cross and He's calling today for those who are supposed to be His followers to have this motivation of the fact that Jesus went first. Hebrews 13, 13 says this, Let us go forth therefore unto Him without the camp bearing His reproach. You know, so many today in our world don't want to go beyond what's comfortable. They don't want to go beyond what, what, is, what seems to be just the minimum requirement. Why? Because it requires sacrifice. Because it requires with identifying in a greater way with the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't want to go beyond that. And yet the Bible tells us, for the love of Christ constraineth us. Does it constrain you? Does that motivate you to do greater, to be greater, to go beyond our greatest motivation should be our love for Christ. 
Remember when Peter was downcast, what did Jesus do? He spoke to him. He says, lovest thou me? He, he didn't say live for me. He said, lovest thou me? In, in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. If you love me, in John 14, keep my commandments. And so this morning, you know, if you love God, there's got to be a, a, a resulting moving a resulting manner of life like we spoke about going the second mile. What's your motivation? See, our love ought to motivate us to go beyond what we are and see what we can be for Christ. And there's an example of this. Look at Genesis chapter 29. You know, many times we'll go, we'll go above and beyond when it comes to those that we love. Many of you husbands, you, you'll go, you go above and beyond to make sure your wife is comfortable. And they have everything they need met, but then also beyond that, some of the things that they would like. Many of you parents, when a child of yours desires something that's good for them or, or desires something that they've always wanted, you do more. You're motivated, aren't you? You have a motivation. And, and here's a story that, that we're familiar with that's similar. Notice... Genesis 29, look at verse 18. And Jacob loved Rachel, and I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. So the agreement was that I will serve you, Laban, for your daughter Rachel seven years. Now, she must have been quite a girl. He was willing to serve seven years. And seven years he agreed upon so that he could marry this girl. You know the story Laban said, it is better that I give her to thee than I should give her to another man. Abide with me. And so Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. Boy, motivation. He, he was in love with this girl. So those seven years, they didn't seem like a sacrifice. And you know the story, Jacob said unto Laban, give me thy wi my wife, for my days are fulfilled. Laban f pulled off a swifty, swapped the daughters, didn't he? How would you like that happen? And in the morning he discovers, who was it? Was it Rachel? No, who was it? Leah. And the Bible says what about her? We won't go there. And Jacob, notice this, and Laban said, it must not be so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn, fulfill her week, and we will give thee, thee this also for the service which thou shalt serve with me yet seven years. And Jacob did so and fulfilled her week, and he gave him Rachel, his daughter, to wife also. You know what happened? He went the twain mile. You know why? Because he was motivated. Because his motivation was right. And listen, many of us here, we could go the second mile. But really the question is, how's your love for Christ? How's your love for Him? Do you love Him enough that you just won't go the first mile? You'll go, you'll go further, you'll go the second mile? You'll go beyond what, what everyone else is doing because of your love for Christ, you'll keep going? See, Jacob's love for Rachel, an earthly love, Caused him to go the second mile. How about, our, how about the love that we ought to have with our Savior? 
How about the, the love that He gave us by dying on the cross of Calvary for our sins? How about the fact that He proved His love to us with His sacrifice, and yet here we are living with the benefits of salvation, and we sometimes won't even lift the finger to do the thing that is, 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 He's compelling us to do. So often our love wavers for the Lord. But when we realize that we ought to love Him, we certainly need to get back and, and get going. Our love ought to motivate us to go beyond what is just expected and, and give us a desire to do more for Him. And the question I'm asking, what's your motivation? Are, are you motivated? Are you devoted to Christ? So many men and ladies today and yesteryear have sacrificed much because of their love for the Savior. I wonder your, how your love is. Maybe your love is elsewhere this morning. Maybe your, your motivation is elsewhere and you need to get it back to looking to Christ. Let me challenge you. God loves you. Can you ever thought about that? Ever thought of God's love? Ever thought about the sacrifice that He willingly paid on the cross for you and I? Boy, that ought to constrain us. That ought to compel us this morning. How's your motivation? But then lastly, we see the mark. The mark of a second mile Christian. He says, go with him the twain mile. And really, that boils down to now a choice. And the mark of a second mile Christian, he chooses because he's passionate. And notice, notice with me, look, look at this. Look at Second Samuel. Look at Second Samuel. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 24. And we, we know here that David sinned and, and because of that he, he numbered the people and because of that he went uh, before God and God, uh, God proclaimed some judgments, some, some, some curses on the land. And, and David, David repents, he wants to get it right and God sends him over to this place in verse 22 in Arauna, to the field of Arauna. Verse 22, And Arunah said unto David, Let my lord the king take and offer up what seemeth good unto him. Behold, here be oxen for burnt sacrifice and threshing instruments and other instruments of oxen for wood. So he goes in and this man is a loyal, loyal subject, someone who was faithful in the land. And he goes, here's, here's all you need, David. He's giving it free of charge. All these things that Arunah as a, uh, did as, uh, as a king gave, give unto the king. And Arunah said unto the king, The Lord thy God accept thee. And the king said unto Arunah, Nay, verse 24, But I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord was entreated for the land and the plague was stayed from Israel. And you know what that site later became? That was the site of the temple. And God used David's mistake and he used it and turned it around. But you know, David's attitude was this, if it needs to cost me something. You know, at that point, David made a choice. He could have chosen to take the freebie, which, you know, many of us, myself probably included, would have. But David's attitude was, you know what? I want this to cost me something. 
You know what that demonstrated? That demonstrated David's passion for God. And, And many times the reason why we don't go beyond the first mile is because really we don't have a real passion for God. We make choices that, that really demonstrate the lack of passion. It's no longer just a thing. When we're passionate for God, it's no longer just a thing we do. It becomes our life. In Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says, I've not apprehended. And he says, but, and this one thing I do. And then he goes on, he says, I press toward the mark. He had a passion to keep going for God. And he had a passion not just to be like everyone else. And he had a passion not just to go the first mile, but he went a second mile. And the mark of a second mile Christian is one of passion. Are you passionate for your Savior? You know, if, if I could observe your life, I can pinpoint what you're passionate about. It'll just pour out of you. What you're passionate about, it'll just pour out of you. You know, if we converse for a little while, I can pick up what you're really passionate about. Everyone has passion. It's just where you direct your passion. And many times we direct our passion on earthly pursuits. And yet we see here in the Word of God are, are compelling to go the second mile is a choice. And really it stems from a life filled with the Spirit. And when you look around you, often see that the reason we have passionless Christians is because we are powerless Christians. We never seek the presence of God like we ought, and we've allowed the things of the Word of God, we've allowed prayer to become an item on a checklist. We've reduced those extra things as optional things. When God's compelling us, don't just go the first mile. Go the second mile. Where's your passion? Where's your passion to to seek the Lord, to seek His will for your life? Where's your passion to pray? Where's your passion to to go beyond and and not just uh, what what others seem to expect, but go beyond that and and do more for the cause of Christ? You see, we have people in the Word of God who went beyond. We see Moses who waited until the seventh day until God appeared to him. And yet we have the disciples who, who couldn't wait an hour, they fell asleep. And I wonder which one you are. Are you, are you one of passion? Are you a person who is passionate for the Lord? It's said about Spurgeon that he would not get up off his face in prayer until he heard from God. We hear about Gideon who asked twice until he made sure God was with him. And why is it that we are living an average Christian life when God commands us to go the second mile. I believe the lack of passion really comes from a lack of power. You see, Christian, the power of God isn't just for preachers. You see, the, the power of God isn't just for those of you who are getting older. No, the power of God is needful for you and I, and we ought to seek Him. And Christian, I'm asking you this morning, are you passionate? Do you show passion for God? Because that's the mark of a, of a second mile Christian. What the world needs today are not just average people. What God needs today is average uh, is our people doing extraordinary things because we have an extraordinary God. And I wonder, will you be a second mile Christian? I wonder what God's trying to get you to, 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 to do in your life. I wonder if you're looking at the bigger picture of the world. 
I wonder if you're looking at this world and, and looking at the, the trappings of it and you're thinking, is there more? And then may, maybe this morning God's trying to compel you to go the second mile. If for some of you, it's not just simply getting those invitations. Maybe it's actually giving those invitations. Maybe it's following up with those and asking them, hey, why don't you come? Maybe for some of you, it's, it's not just coming on a Sunday morning, but maybe coming to all of the services. That's, maybe that's your next mile. Maybe for some of you, 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 you need to start giving like you should and then giving towards the work of God all around the world. Maybe for some of you, it's not just sitting here week in, week out, ignoring the call of God on your life. And maybe your second mile is to come and surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe for some of you, it's just a reminder that you can't get to the second mile if you've not done the first mile first. And maybe it's just getting back to that baseline commitment of being faithful to the Lord. Maybe it's been a while you've been backslidden. Maybe it's been a while you've just pursued other things and you need to start pursuing God again. Whatever the case is, why don't you, why don't you do business with the Lord this morning? Why don't you come to a place of committing yourself to go the second mile? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you. And Lord, we just want to thank you, Lord, for the time that we've had this morning. I know, Lord, that we live in a day of easy Christianity. We're really, Lord, even as the world looks, Lord, there's, there's an attitude of minimum. Lord, I pray that, Lord, just starting with me, Lord, that you would just dispel that from my mind and my heart and help me, Lord, to be a second-mile Christian. And Father, you, as you, we observe the, the work that you did for us on the cross, that we'd recognize the great price that you paid and that we would be motivated, Lord, to go the extra mile for you. Lord, help us this morning as our heads bowed, our, our eyes are closed, no one's looking around, the piano can begin to play. I wonder firstly this morning, I wonder if uh, you're saved. We spoke at the beginning of the sermon about what it is to be a good Christian. And really, to be a good Christian, you need to be saved. There needs to have been a time where you were saved by grace through faith. Where you trusted not in your works, not in your goodness, but you trusted in the Savior, Jesus Christ. I wonder if you were here this morning and if I were to ask you this question, if you were to die today. The Bible doesn't give us any guarantee of tomorrow. The Bible tells us to boast not ourselves of tomorrow, for we know not what a day may bring forth. And I wonder if you're here this day, and if you were, if you were to die today, would you know for sure that your sins are forgiven and heaven's your home? Are you here this morning and you don't know? And just with an uplifted hand, just say, Pastor, pray for me. If I were to die today, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know if my sins are forgiven. I wouldn't know if heaven's my home. Is there anyone this morning just with an uplifted hand? I see that hand. Thank you. You can put it down. Anyone else? Anyone else? Would you have the courage to raise your hand? I just simply will pray for you today. Anyone else? I don't see any other hands. I wonder if Christian then, I wonder if the Lord spoke to your heart about your faithfulness. I wonder 
this morning, you say, Pastor, pray for me. The Lord spoke to my heart. Um, not only do I want to be a first mile Christian, I want to go beyond. I want to go and do the second mile. Just with an uplifted hand, just say, Pastor, pray for me. Pastor, pray for me. Anyone else? I see those hands. Anyone else? I see those hands. I see those hands. Anyone else? I see those hands this morning. I'll be praying for you. I want to challenge you this morning. Why don't we use the altar? As we all stand to our feet, no one looking around. Let's stand to our feet, no one looking around. If the Lord spoke to your heart this morning, if the Lord spoke to your heart, why don't you come forward and do business with the Lord? Why don't you use the altar this morning and just give your life to Christ and, and give your life to going the second mile for Him? If you're here this morning and, and you're not saved, then please, um, please come see me after and we'll go through the Word of God and show you how you can know. But as the piano plays, some are coming. Why don't you, don't delay, why don't you come? And why don't we do business with the Lord this morning?